0: As a new wholesaler, it can be overwhelming to learn the language of wholesale real estate. That was the case for me when I started wholesaling houses nearly 20 years ago. I was new to real estate and was so lost with all the different terminology. I quickly learned that to become a successful wholesaler, I would need to learn and understand the industry jargon. So on this video, I'm gonna shortcut your learning curve. I've narrowed it down to the top 100 most important terms you must know as a wholesaler, and I'm going to explain these key terms in simple to understand language so you can quickly grasp the concepts. But before we get started, don't worry, I created a comprehensive glossary of pretty much every residential real estate investing term, and it's going to be a resource guide for you. It's like your go-to dictionary for real estate investing, and of course, I'll give it to you for free. I'll put the download link in the description below. Okay, let's get started. The first term you need to understand is a house. Just kidding. I'm not going to tell you what a house is, but I will tell you a common acronym for a house is SFR. SFR stands for single family residential, which is a dwelling that serves as living quarters for a single person or family. Oops, I just told you the definition of a house. Okay, let's get serious and start at the top. As a wholesaler, the very first thing you need to understand is market trends or market cycles, which are simply the changes or patterns that happen in a real estate market. Now, market cycles are dictated by the principle of supply and demand. In real estate, supply is referring to houses or what is often called inventory, and demand is referring to buyers. In a typical market cycle, when there are more buyers in the market than available inventory, prices go up which is called an appreciating market or an up market, and is also referred to as a seller's market because the seller gets to dictate price due to high demand. Likewise, when there is more inventory than buyers in the market, price goes down, and we call that a depreciating market or a down market, and is also referred to as a buyer's market because the buyer gets to dictate price due to a high supply or inventory. Now, when a market cycle naturally shifts from an up market to a down market and drops, let's say 10 to 20%, we call that a correction. And when the market drops more than 20%, it's often called a crash. In wholesaling, we call the geographical location where you buy and sell properties, your market. A wholesaler's market could be one or more counties or maybe a metro market like Metro Detroit or the greater Dallas-Fort Worth area, which includes the major cities and surrounding smaller cities. When a wholesaler's market is also where he lives, we call that his backyard market. And when he wholesales remotely in another market, we call that a virtual market. As a wholesaler, you will spend a lot of time looking for distressed properties or distressed sellers that you can contract to purchase at a discount. A distressed property is when the property is in poor condition. A distressed seller is a property owner facing a hardship, usually financial. A seller that is eager to sell his unwanted property is called a motivated seller. And there are dozens of different types of motivated sellers or situations where sellers are distressed. I'll mention some of the most popular. First is an absentee owner. An absentee owner is a property that is not the owner's primary residence. In other words, he doesn't live in the property. There are three additional types of absentee owners that are popular. The first is a vacant property, which simply means no one is living in the house. The second type of absentee owner is an out of state absentee owner, which means not only does the owner not live in the property, but he actually doesn't even live in the same state. And the third type of absentee owner is what we call a tired landlord. This is someone who's using the property as a rental and is burned out from being a landlord. The next lead type we'll mention is a pre-foreclosure. This is someone who is late on their mortgage payments and the bank has officially started the foreclosure process. If the owner doesn't catch up the payments, the property will eventually go to the foreclosure auction. That's when the property is offered for sale and sold to the highest bidder. If the property doesn't sell at the foreclosure auction, the lender takes the property back and it becomes an REO property. Another popular lead is inherited properties where someone died and the property was passed on to an heir. And like I said, there are dozens of different motivated seller lead types. I just mentioned some of the most popular. Now let's talk about two primary classifications for finding motivated sellers. Marketing for motivated sellers is often called lead generation or lead gen for short, but I like to call finding motivated sellers something really sophisticated, finding deals. Anyways, the first lead gen classification is on market. On-market is simply when a seller hires a real estate agent to market and sell his property. With on-market, you have to work directly with the real estate agent representing the seller in order to offer and buy the property. The other classification is off-market, which is when a property is not listed for sale with an agent. In that case, you will work directly with the seller or what we call direct-to-seller. Now let's start with off-market and talk about a bunch of terms that are common when working direct-to-seller, and then we'll talk about on-market. We refer to a group of potential off-market sellers as seller leads, or a list of seller leads, or you'll often hear just the word data, which is the same thing. The idea is to get a batch or bulk list of leads or data that you can market to. A company that compiles, organizes, and provides seller leads or seller data is referred to as a data provider or data software. By the way, the definition of the very best data software is PropWire. I'll tell you why. PropWire is over 157 million records nationwide, including both on-market and off-market leads. It's really easy to use, and most importantly, it's absolutely free to search and download as many leads as you want. And what could possibly be better than free? Nothing. Nothing is better than free. But don't take my word for it. Go to joinpropwire.com and see for yourself. Man, that was brilliant how I snuck in a plug for PropWire. Tyler, did you see that? That was flipping genius if I say so myself. Okay, unlike a lot of other expensive data providers, PropWire has a cool feature called list stacking. List stacking is when you combine two or more lead types. So for example, pre-foreclosure and absentee owners. List stacking gets you a smaller list but with higher intent or motivation. Once you acquire a list of leads, you'll have their names and mailing addresses. So you could mail a letter or postcard advertising that you wanna buy their property. This is called direct mail. If you wanna randomly cold call the list to see if they wanna sell, first you'll need to acquire their phone numbers using a service called skip tracing. And guess what? Propwire offers single and bulk skip tracing. I just did it again. Once you skip trace and get their phone number in addition to cold calling those leads, you could also text blast them using a platform that will send text in bulk. Whatever you do, once you get the list, initially those sellers are what we call cold leads, meaning they have no idea who you are and that you want to buy their property, and you have no idea if they're even interested in selling. Once they respond that they are potentially interested in selling, it goes from a cold lead to a warm lead. In wholesale real estate, it's common to use an overseas remote worker called a virtual assistant, or VA for short, to text and cold call and do other lower level activities. As you grow your wholesale business, you may decide to hire an acquisitions manager or a commission sales rep who will take the warm leads and try to close or convert them into deals. Now, another type of marketing that is common to find deals is what's called driving for dollars. Now, this is where you drive around in your market and look for physically distressed properties, then contact those owners to see if they want to sell. Driving for dollars is popular with new wholesalers because it only requires your time. Now, some wholesalers get a bird dog to do driving for dollars. A bird dog is someone who finds leads for you and typically gets paid a referral fee. Once a wholesaler has a marketing budget, he may consider doing pay-per-click advertising, or PPC for short. PPC is when you advertise for motivated sellers online, such as running ads on Google or Facebook. Now, let's discuss some important terminology for on-market. First, it's important to understand that a real estate agent has to have an active real estate license in the state they are transacting. A real estate agent must work under a broker. A broker holds a higher license and is responsible for overseeing the agent's activities. Most people call real estate agents realtors, which is technically incorrect and a pet peeve of mine. A realtor just means a licensed real estate agent that is a member of the National Association of Realtors. When a seller agrees to hire a real estate agent to sell their property, they sign a listing agreement and that agent is now acting as the listing agent or sometimes called the selling agent. The listing agent will put the property for sale on the Multiple Listing Service, or MLS, which is an online marketplace privy just to licensed real estate agents where they can collaborate with each other. Once a listing agent lists a property for sale on the MLS, it becomes active, and public sites like Zillow, Redfin, and Realtor post that property for sale too. Now, since agents collaborate with each other, a real estate agent representing an interested buyer is called a buyer's agent, and they can make an offer on behalf of their buyer. If the offer is accepted, the property becomes pending, which means it's under contract and waiting to close. If the deal falls apart, the property will become available for sale again and is called back on market. If for whatever reason the seller decides not to sell, the listing is called withdrawn and is no longer for sale. If the seller decides to lower the price or raise the price, the listing is called changed price. And if it doesn't sell during the time period on the listing agreement, usually six months, the listing goes inactive and is called an expired listing. When a buyer wants to physically see a property, the buyer's agent must schedule a showing and is typically given a lockbox code to the property that will have a key to access the house. Now let's talk about some important relationships between agents and buyers and sellers. We already discussed the difference between a listing agent and a buyer's agent. While it's completely negotiable, agents typically get paid a commission or percentage of the sale price. It's customary for a seller to pay a combined five to six percent in commissions, and usually it's split between the listing agent and the buyer's agent. I hope you caught that. The seller pays the commissions even though the buyer's agent represents the buyer. Most states allow for what's called dual agency where the same agent can represent both the seller and the buyer. I teach a technique to create a dual agency relationship when making on-market offers that I coined the double dip technique because the listing agent is getting double the commission. When the buyer's agent is under the same broker as the listing agent, that is called designated agency. And when an agent does not represent either party but still facilitates the transaction between both parties, she is called a transaction broker or sometimes a facilitator. When an agent acquires a listing agreement, but before listing the property on the MLS, finds a buyer off market, that is called a pocket listing. And when a seller agrees to pay the agent any amount above the specified sale price, that is called a net listing. As a wholesaler, I love finding deals on market and working with agents. Building a referral network of investor-friendly agents is often called agent outreach. Now, moving right along, let's talk about some really important terms when it comes to property values. The value of a property in its current condition is called current market value or the as-is value. That's different than the future value of a property after improvements are made. The value of a property after it's fixed up is called the after repair value or ARV for short. As a wholesaler, you're always trying to figure out value. This is done by looking at what are called comparables or comps for short. Comps are similar properties nearby that recently sold. The process of looking at comps to establish value is called comping. The difference between a property's value and the total amount of debt on the property in the form of loans or liens is called equity. For example, if the value of a home is $100,000 and there is a $50,000 loan on the property, the equity is 50%. But equity is subjective, so make sure you're clear about what you mean by equity. For example, the equity on ARV is unrealized equity or future equity because it hasn't been created yet. That's different than the today or as is or current equity. Also, there's a difference between arbitrary equity called paper equity and the actual equity or net equity. Paper equity doesn't take into consideration the closing costs and commissions to sell a property. Whereas the net equity is what you would actually take home after the cost of selling. For example, earlier I said a home that has a value of 100,000 but has a loan for 50,000 would have 50% in equity. That would be considered paper equity because on paper there's 50% equity, but in reality, if you were to sell the property, you would have to pay about $8,000 in closing fees and commissions. The take-home cash of 42,000 would be the real or net equity. In the industry, we often look at the levels of equity. When a property is free and clear, it means it has no debt. Another way to refer to a free and clear property is that it has 100% equity. Someone who has at least 50% in equity would be called high equity. And when the seller has less than 20% equity, we call that low equity. And if it doesn't have any equity, we call that no equity. And when they owe more than it's worth, we call that negative equity or upside down. Now let's talk about some important terms when it comes to acquisitions or the process of acquiring a good deal. As a wholesaler, when you present a price in terms to buy a house, it is called an offer. And as a wholesaler, you will make a cash offer or an all cash offer, which means your offer is not contingent or dependent on obtaining financing in order to purchase the property. It means the funds to buy the property are liquid and can easily be converted to cash. Some sellers or agents will require that you provide a proof of funds that you have liquid cash in the amount of your offer. And there are two kinds of proof of funds. The first is a soft proof of funds, such as a pre-approval letter from a private or hard money lender. Now, if you're a pro or prime level subscriber to my wholesale software called Flipster, you get unlimited proof of funds letters for as many offers as you want. Check it out at joinflipster.com. What are you talking about, Tyler? That wasn't a plug for Flipstar, I was just telling them how to get a soft proof of funds letter. The other kind is a hard proof of funds, which could be a full approval from a lender or it could be a recent bank statement showing the available liquid cash. Now, in order to determine the buy price on a property or what is often called the maximum allowable offer or MAO for short, a wholesaler will perform a deal analysis. Analyzing a deal, or what we call calculating the buy formula, is when you consider the value, cost of repairs, and other factors to determine the MAO. An offer can be verbal or written, but once an agreement on price and terms is made, you will get an executed contract, which means all parties have agreed in writing. At that point, the property is officially under contract and the seller is committed and can't sell to anyone else. The written contract between the wholesaler and the seller is called the Purchase and Sale Agreement. Let's talk about some key terms that you'll see in that contract. First are contingencies. Contingencies are clauses in the contract that allow for certain conditions to be met, otherwise the buyer can back out of the contract. Examples of contingencies could be the seller must provide a marketable title. That means the title is free and clear of any liens or defects. Another contingency might be a financing contingency, which means the purchase is contingent on the buyer obtaining financing to buy the property. Now, some contracts allow for due diligence or a period of time for the buyer to verify information about the property. A contingency that allows for due diligence on the condition of the property is called an inspection contingency. Sometimes the buyer will give a good faith deposit or what's often called an earnest money deposit or EMD for short. The EMD is held in a holding account and is applied to the purchase, and once all the contingencies are met, if any, the EMD goes hard or becomes non-refundable. That means if the buyer doesn't perform and buy the property, he forfeits his earnest money to the seller. Now we'll talk more about the closing process in a minute, but first let's talk about the process of finding a buyer to wholesale the property to. We call that Dispositions, or DISPO for short. And the person that we wholesale the property to is called the cash buyer or sometimes the end buyer. Wholesalers focus on building a cash buyer list, which is a list of investors who are looking to buy investment properties in your market. A cash buyer's buy criteria is often called their buy box. And there are two main types of cash buyers, flippers who buy, rehab and resell, also called fix and flippers and buy and hold investors who keep the properties to rent for cash flow. When a wholesaler flips their contract to a cash buyer, this is called the assignment method. And the document that transfers the buyer from the wholesaler to the cash buyer is called the assignment agreement or assignment contract. Instead of doing the assignment method, if the wholesaler buys the property then immediately resells it to the cash buyer, that is called the double closing method or sometimes it's called a back-to-back closing. Specialized lenders who provide funding for double closings is called a transactional lender. When a wholesaler partners with another wholesaler and one has the deal and the other has the buyer, that is called a joint venture or JV for short, and they usually execute a JV agreement, which specifies the roles of their partnership. Finally, let's talk about some key terms you need to know when transacting a real estate deal. A closing or settlement is when the transaction is performed and the ownership transfers from the seller to the buyer. Starting the process of a real estate transaction is called opening escrow, and when the transaction is complete, it's called the close of escrow or the closing date. The escrow or closing company that performs the transaction is called the title company, and in some states, an attorney must be used, so he would be called the closing attorney. The go-to person who handles your transaction is called the closing agent. Once everything is ready, the closing agent will issue a clear to close and provide a breakdown of the debits and credits for the seller and buyer so that the seller knows how much he's getting and the buyer knows how much he is paying. This breakdown is called the closing statement or the settlement statement. The closing statement includes all the closing fees paid by the buyer and seller. Let's discuss a few of these fees. The first is the closing fee or settlement fee. That's the fee the closing company charges for facilitating the closing. Usually there are prorated property taxes that either pay back the seller for taxes he already paid, or taxes the seller owes, or prepaid taxes the buyer pays. If the seller has an existing loan, you'll see a loan payoff deducted from the seller's proceeds. Most states charge a selling tax to the seller that is sometimes called a transfer tax. And most counties charge recording fees to transfer ownership. In a transaction, the deed is the official document that transfers ownership from the seller to the buyer, and a warranty deed provides the best protection because it promises that the property is free of any liens or encumbrances. The title is your proof of ownership, and title insurance protects the buyer in the event a claim is made later. Finally, the amount the seller walks away from after the loan payoffs and closing fees is his net proceeds. And that's a wrap. If you learned something new, leave a comment and let me know. And again, this was just the 100 most important terms you need to know. There are hundreds more that you also need to learn and understand, so be sure to get my comprehensive glossary of real estate terms. And again, to get that download for free, check the link in the description. All I ask is you leave a comment and say, thank you, Jerry, for another free resource. You are a flipping genius. And I'll see you on the next video.